and the Admiral and Peters and Nat. They made her a little kizzy-sized wagon with lots of kizzy-sized things. All right, now we're going to continue. Chapter six. The court had been hearing a case of damage at the village school by two young hooligans, said Mr. Blunt. And as we are all here again, said the chairman. Tell us, the traveler child, Kizzy Lovell, is she happy and well? Yeah, and he asked, Miss Brooke, Mrs. Mr. Blunt, would you like me to leave while you discuss her? asked Miss Brooke. There isn't anything to discuss, said Mr. Blunt. Kizzy is well and putting on weight. She seems to conform now without any difficulty, though she keeps to herself. That's perhaps because of an unfortunate episode after school. What episode? Mrs. Cuthbert, who was there representing the school board, was instantly alert. It seems some of the children set on her, the girls. Well, it certainly wasn't my prudence. And may I ask why we were not told? Mr. Fraser thought it better to let the children settle it themselves, which they have done. And before Mrs. Cuthbert could speak again, Mr. Blunt went hurriedly on. Kizzy can read now. Miss Brooke has been coaching her in the holidays and the evenings. She is beautifully kept. I feel, sir, he said to the chairman, Miss Brooke should be congratulated. It might all have been most difficult. It isn't finished yet, said Miss Brooke. Indeed, Mrs. Cuthbert spoke on, uh, spoke to her afterwards. I didn't say this in the courtroom because I didn't want to shame you, Olivia, but I don't believe you are making such a success of that child. If there's another opportunity, I shall feel bound to speak. Is that a threat? asked Miss Brooke, smiling. Olivia Brooke, as if I would threaten. But that little girl is too solitary. I quite agree. Then why do you let her be? The fact is, Olivia, you have become possessive. That's what I meant when I said that a single woman shouldn't take a child. Possessive. What do I do? asked Miss Brooke. Keep her away from everybody, except the house, of course. If any of us ask her out, you won't let her come. Never let, any, never let her ask any child near. Miss Brooke's lips twitched. Wouldn't it be nice, Kizzy, she had said some days ago, if you invited some of the girls to see your orchard and wagon? It would be horrid. Just one or two, coaxed Miss Brooke. No. They would be fascinated. No. Think of showing them the Kezia China. No. And Kizzy got into a state worse than when I suggested asking them to the house. Miss Brooke told the Admiral. Yet I feel I must try. Don't, said the Admiral. Let her be. Clem had been allowed to see. If you won't tell, 
If, if you won't tell, said Kizzy. Promise not to tell, not even Elizabeth, particularly not Elizabeth. I promise, said Clem. Say, may I die if I lie. Kizzy was fierce. May I die if I lie, said Clem meekly. But mean it, mean it, mean it, stormed Kizzy. No one, absolutely no one was to know. But there are some queer goings on, said Mrs. Cuthbert. As soon as Kizzy came back from school, she and Miss Brooke would light her fire and boil the kettle. She taught Miss Brooke some of the gypsy ways with fires. Set them going, said Kizzy, with bits of torn paper or twigs, dried leaves, put a match to them. Gran used her flint. Then build a sort of little chimney with twigs, thin, thin twigs, that pulls the fire up. And then you put on branches. Apple and willow burns quick. Gran said oak is good and slow, but we never had any oak. Chestnut is bad. It snaps. Sir Admiral sometimes gave Gran elm logs. Elm is best. Sometimes Kizzy fried her own bacon and sausages, roasted potatoes and apples. But even if Miss Brooke cooked it, always had her tea out there. Afterwards, she would sit on her box, or if it rained, go into the wagon and light the little lamp. Miss Brooke would hear her singing and crooning to herself as she fed the fire, or just sat dreaming, Chuff beside her. Chuff, too, had adopted the fire. Sometimes Kizzy brushed him. Sometimes he's the cat. Sometimes read the big print of her reading books. Often she strung beads. She had all the traveler's love of ornaments and colors. Miss Brooke had given her a box of old beads, and Kizzy spent hours stringing them into necklaces and bracelets. She would go to school wearing six necklaces if I would let her, said Miss Brooke. Kizzy longed to have a ring, like the Admiral's signet ring, or better, like the one that Miss Brooke sometimes wore, with a moonstone and rubies. Oh, bring me back my gold, Kizzy would sing. No gold ever ties me. Bring me back my gold and the little diamond ring. From the upstairs window, Miss Brooke watched and listened. As the weather grew colder, Kizzy, it's time to come in, she would call from the window or garden door. Just a little longer, the stars are coming out. There's one enormous star, probably it's grand. Kizzy had a fixed idea that people turned into stars when they died. Might be Joe, said Kizzy. It comforted her to think the star was Joe. I do need a pony, she told his star. You would be too big for the wagon, but you could come along. Sometimes Miss Brooke found her asleep on the box or in the wagon's bunk. Though Miss Brooke was slight, she was strong. She gathered Kizzy up, carried her indoors and upstairs, and put her straight under the blankets into bed. Mrs. Cuthbert caught her once. Oh, Livia, you're too small to carry that great child up to bed. She's not very heavy, and don't wake her, said Miss Brooke. But bed, without washing. She can have a bath in the morning. Bed, in her clothes. She'll have clean ones tomorrow. The clothes smelled of wood smoke 
but that was Kizzy's familiar smell. What has she been doing? Amusing herself. At this hour. And you let her. Yes, said Miss Brooke. As I said before, you have queer ways of bringing up a child. Is it too queer? Miss Brooke asked Admiral Twist. We are encouraged. We are encouraging her in make-believe. Yes, said Admiral Twist, but make-believe is a good splint for a break, and a good many things have been broken for Kizzy. It was bonfire night. A huge bonfire had been built on the common. It's almost as tall as a house, said Clem. For weeks, the older boys and girls have been trundling their guys and old perambulators and wooden handcarts round the village, and even into Rye, wheedling money for fireworks. Penny for the guy, two pennies, five pence. And now all the children were seething with excitement, except Kizzy. You're coming, Kiz? No. There'll be fireworks, said Clem. Not just our own, but big fireworks, rockets and Catherine wheels. They'll go round and round with flashes and golden rain. You put bombs on the ground and they make fountains. They'll be crackers. Backerackers, we call them. They chase you. And I got a whole packet of sparklers, especially for you. You hold one in your hand and they go fizz in sparks. They don't hurt you. And there'll be stalls for hot dogs and toffee apples and candy floss. And we roast potatoes. No. Why, Kiz? They burn the guy. I don't like that. Don't be silly. He's not real. It's only fun. Fun. All of you against one. Kizzy said it bitterly. Oh, come on, said Clem. Besides, it's tit for tat. Guy Fawkes, he tried to blow up the Houses of Parliament. Tit for tat. Kizzy liked the sound of that. One day... I'll blow up the whole school. Then you'll be a skunk, said Clem. Lots of them have been kind to you. The boys, Mr. Fraser, especially Mrs. Blunt, hasn't she? Kizzy would not answer. And for the first time, Clem lost patience. He seized her by the arm and gave her a barley sugar twist, and not a gentle one. Hasn't she? Yes, it was wrung from Kizzy. Hasn't Mr. Fraser? Yes. Haven't I, and the boys? Yes. Well, then, why? Them, said Kizzy briefly. Look, Kiz, said Clem, you have to make it up. No. You can't go on and on. I can. You can't, said Clem. You'll see. Miss Brooke had meant to cajole Kizzy into coming to the bonfire with her, but when Kizzy came home, it was to find her sick and, and giving involuntary little moans. The skin round her eyes was discolored. And you're all yellow, said Kizzy, alarmed. It's just one of my bad, sick headaches, Miss Brooke managed to say. It would be better if I lie down. Kizzy helped her upstairs to her quiet bedroom over the L, pulled back the counterpane, and covered her with blankets. She made a cup of tea and carried it carefully up and brought Miss Brooke the pills that she ought to have taken before. Only I wanted you to see the bonfire. I like my own bonfire, said Kizzy, and pulled the curtains. Go to sleep. Your tea, 
I'll get my own tea and feed Chuff. You ought to see the fireworks. Never mind them, unless they hurt your poor head. They're only bangs, said Kizzy. And soon Miss Brooke, who had been awake and sick most of the night, was in a deep sleep. Only bangs. But sitting on her box, Kizzy felt strangely forlorn and lonely. Perhaps it was because Miss Brooke was not there. Perhaps because of the excited voices coming from the common on the other side of the cottage. Laughter and shouting and the sound of running footsteps. Sparklers, crackers, backerappers, golden chain, she whispered. She whispered the magic-sounding words to Chuff and thought she caught a tang of gunpowder mingled with the smell of hot dogs in the air. She had half a mind to go to the front gate and watch. When it was beginning to be dark, a rocket whizzed into the sky and fell in a shower of stars that shone red as Miss Brooks' rubies in the dusk. They were more beautiful than anything Kizzy had ever seen. The orchard had been too far away from the village for her to have watched fireworks. Another rocket went up, blue and green. Sapphires and emeralds, whispered Kizzy to Chuff. But Chuff, who disliked firework bangs, had run into the cottage. Kizzy went through the sitting room and out to the front gate. Lizbeth, Clem coaxed his sister, go to Miss Brooks' cottage and make Kizzy come and join us. You go. She won't come for me because of you girls. She won't come for us. I believe she would if you asked her. Anyway, try. Go on, Lizbeth. You and Mary Jo. Elizabeth considered. It would have to be Prudence. Prue's the one she hates. That's why, said Elizabeth, but was still doubtful. Tell you what, said Clem, if you make them go and Kizzy comes, I'll give you my new pencil box. Besides, you want to make it up. You know you do. And that was how three little girls met Kizzy at the garden gate. Kizzy held the gate tight shut. We haven't come to fight, said Elizabeth. Why have you then? Kizzy was breathing through her nose, again like a little dragon. Fanes, Kizzy, Prudence offered the truce, and we came to ask you along to the bonfire with us, said Mary Jo, and please come, Elizabeth pleaded. For a moment, Kizzy's heart leapt. Then the shell came down. I've got a bonfire of my own, she said loftily. You couldn't have, not like ours, better than yours. Show. Private, said Kizzy. Then we don't believe you, said Prue. Kizzy looked at them, her eyes flashed. Black, Elizabeth told Clem afterwards. And she threw open the garden gate. Come. Oh, oh, oh. Elizabeth, Mary Jo, and Prudence stood in the little orchard gazing at the apple trees with their rosy apples, the fire where the kettle was steaming, the lit wagon showing a glimpse of windows and curtains and china. Ooh. It's a Wendy House caravan, said Elizabeth. Never seen anything like it. 
and it's yours. Kizzy nodded. She was swelling with pride. You can go into the wagon if you like. Reverently, they went up the steps, and the bonfire on the common was forgotten. Look at the little pillows. Real patchwork quilts. Why two bunks? So as I can ask a friend to spend the night. Do you sleep here then? Sometimes, said Kizzy. She lets you? When I like. Wish I could, said Elizabeth. Maybe one day I'll ask you. The china's right pretty, said Mary Jo. It's a hundred years old, said Kizzy. Belonged to Kezia Cunningham at the house. And she boasted, I am called after her. Then Admiral Twist made this for you. Yes, he's a friend of mine. Kizzy felt she was getting bigger and bigger. But you need a pony, said Prue. The pony hasn't come yet. You're going to have a pony? Make you some tea if you like. Kizzy thought they had better stop talking about the pony. Kettle's boiling, which drew their attention to the fire. And for the first time, Prudence criticized. It's a very little fire. Has to be, said Elizabeth, to match. She said it was big. It can be, said Kizzy. I can make it as big as I like. Something inside her knew she was boasting even more. Yet she went on moving the kittle iron and the kettle and throwing on armful after armful of wood. Now you have to put it out, said Prue. Haven't. And Kizzy went to the garage and brought out Miss Brooks' spare tin of petrol. Kizzy, you can't put that on it. Petrol's dangerous. Stand back, was all Kizzy said. She meant to sprinkle a few drops, but the tin was heavy. Petrol gushed out and... Kizzy! screamed Mary Jo, and there was a bang and a flash of flame. Kizzy dropped the tin and jumped back as a sheet of fire came up. How it didn't catch her face, I don't know, said Elizabeth afterwards. In a moment, there was what seemed a wall of fire with tongues reaching out towards the cottage. The thatch on the low eaves of the L caught at once while the wind swept the, flame, the fire upwards. Flames ran along the thatch and in a minute, smoke began to come out of the upstairs window. Chuff tore out of the house, his fur on end, and leapt crawling up the hedge. The heat scorched the girls' faces, and the wagon, the little wagon, screamed Elizabeth over the noise of the flames. But never mind the wagon, Kizzy shouted back. Olivia, Miss Brooke, she's asleep in there. Before they could catch her, Kizzy had dodged round the flames and dived into the smoking cottage. Elizabeth screamed. Mary Jo began to sob, but Prudence was not Mrs. Cuthbert's daughter for nothing. Run, Beth, she ordered. Run, get Clem, get men. Better ring the fire brigade, choked Elizabeth. They would never believe children on bonfire night. Prue was cool, decisive. Run, and Elizabeth ran, dodging through the sitting room, which was not yet alight, but leaving the door open, which fanned the flames. The sitting room began to fill with smoke, but Prudence was cool. Mary Jo, come with me. In there? We got to. We got to get him out. Come on. Don't be chicken. As they came into the cottage, they heard faint cries. We are coming, shouted Prue. But she did not, like Kizzy, dash straight up the stairs. She ran into the kitchen, 
found two glass cloths, held them under the tap. Tie this over your nose and mouth, she commanded, giving one to Mary Jo. Tie it tight. Now come. Up there, Mary Jo quailed. Smoke! Of course, come on. The stairs were steep, single cottage flight, with a small landing at the top. Smoke was billowing down them now, filling the sitting room. Crawl, said Prue over her shoulder. They could hear Kizzy coughing and sputtering above them, then saw her frantically trying to pull Miss Brooks' body through an open door. Smoke belched out from behind her, and as Prue on her hands and knees got to them, Kizzy choked, doubled up, and fell. In one swift movement, Prue grabbed her curls. Kizzy was light, easy to pull clear, and Prue passed her to Mary Jo. Throw her down the stairs! Throw? Their voices were muffled by the cloths. Yes, quick! Beyond Miss Brooke, Prue saw lumps of burning thatch fall through the ceiling, fire run along the ancient beams. Throw her! Hurry! She'll be hurt! Never mind! Quick! Come on! Come on! Mary Jo's hurl sent limp, light Kizzy head over heels down the stairs. But Miss Brooke was another matter. Though a slight woman, unconscious, she was heavy for two small girls. Pull! gasped Prue. Can't! Mary Jo was coughing. Both their eyes were red, streaming and smarting, half-blinded. Heat scorched their cheeks. Can't! Must! Prue set her teeth, and with all the strength of their short arms, they pulled and tugged Miss Brooke to the landing. Take legs! sputtered Prue, and together they dragged her feet round. Go down! Mary Jo retreated down three steps. Pull! Legs! Pull! gasped Prue. The bedroom was ablaze now. But Prue knelt at the head of the stairs and got Miss Brooks' head and shoulders up, heaving her own body beneath them. Pull! It was torn out of Prue, whose wet cloth had slipped. She took in a mouthful of smoke and choked. Pull! Mary Jo caught the legs and Miss Brooke began to slither downwards. Prue felt her own hair frizzle, a searing pain on her neck and saw her dress was alight. She gave a final, frantic heave, and Miss Brooke cascaded down, taking Mary Jo with her as running steps burst into the cottage. A man caught up Kizzy. A second, Mary Jo, as Prudence herself keeled over and tumbled down the flight right over Miss Brooke into the third man's arms. He seized the hearth rug and, and rolled Prue in it, smothering the flames on her dress. Two more men swung up Miss Brooke, Struth, they said afterwards. We got them out just in time. We got them out. It was young Prudence Cuthbert. Prudence is the girl who was mean to Kizzy. Where is she? The Admiral's old rolls had come tearing into the village, and he, Peters, and Nat were out of it in a moment when it drew up with a shrieking of tires outside the cottage. Two fire engines were there, firemen trampling over the garden, their hoses jetting out water that sent a mushroom of smoke spreading over the sky, 
with a terrible smell of charring. Some of the downstairs furniture had been carried out and stood higgledy-piggledy in the garden, soaked with dirty water and grimed with smoke. The excitement of the cottage on fire had dimmed the excitement of the bonfire, and at least half the village was gathered there. Admiral Twists went through them like a reap hook through the corn. How did he get here so soon? A doctor was playing chess with him, Nat explained. Hospital telephoned. Where is she? Looking at the knot, the Admiral's blanched face, a murmur went round. Lord, how he do love that child. Is she alive? Hurt? Where is she? Little girl's all right, sir. The chief fireman came up. All the little girls. Overcome by smoke, of course. The ambulance has taken them to the hospital. One has some burns, but not severe. The admiral still seemed dazed, and a dozen voices reassured him. Kizzy's safe. She's all right. Kizzy is all right, sir. No, no, not Kizzy, said the admiral. At least Kizzy, yes, but, but not Kizzy. And in front of them all he cried, Where is she? Is she hurt? Olivia, Miss Brooke. I told you she was setting her cap at him, said Mrs. Cuthbert. The village, the village seldom remembered a more exciting time. Mary Jo and Kizzy were discharged from the hospital next day, and Kizzy went to stay with the Olivers, with Clem and Elizabeth, said Kizzy. Prudence came out next, with her, <clears throat> with her bandaged neck and hands. She was the heroine of the village. Wouldn't be surprised if she got a medal. And even Peters had to say, got a head on her shoulders, that one. The cottage was a blackened half-ruin, sheeted with tarpaulins, the furniture stacked up. You can't live there now, Admiral Twist told Miss Brooke. She had gone straight to the hospital and was there every day. He had gone straight to the hospital and was there every day. You and Kiz will have to come to Amberhurst. But talk. Yes, there will be talk, the Admiral said it irritably, but his eyebrows did not bristle. But there's one way to stop it. If you will say yes, Olivia. For Kizzy's sake. Not Kizzy's. Yours and mine. Kizzy too, of course, but when I thought you were burnt, the Admiral's eyebrows and mustache worked so violently he had to go to the hospital window. It's no good. You will have to say yes, Olivia. Yes, said Miss Brooke. It was a little while later that she asked, and her eyes were laughing. How will you tell Nat and Peters? <laughs> well, I think the Admiral is asking Olivia to marry him. And you know how the Admiral lives with Nat and Peters, and they don't like to have any women at the house? Well, if they get married, there have to be a woman at the house, won't there? Read the next chapter. Read the next chapter. Read the next chapter.